Hello, Gold Avenue Church family. Last week, the Lord called each of us to examine what are we most hoping and longing for? What do we most desire? And he called us to set the full weight of our hopes on his return, to believe with all of our hearts that his glorious appearing is our blessed hope. And he called us to lift up our eyes and scan the horizon looking for his return with true, deep, ongoing eagerness. And so we need to know what we're looking for. We need to know what the Bible teaches about Jesus' return, and then to be able to discern the times that we're living in. Did you know that there are at least 150 chapters of the Bible that speak about Jesus' return? God has given us, who have ears to hear, much to meditate on as we long for Jesus appearing. And so today we're going to move into a seven-week study of Matthew 24 and 25, listening to what Jesus describes as signs of the end of the age, and then how Jesus calls for us to prepare for his return. In this morning's message, I'll do some bigger picture teaching to try and help us get a, a grasp of the flow of these events We'll also turn to Luke 21 for some additional help in understanding what has already taken place and what is yet to come. So let's pray, and then we'll turn to Matthew 24 and to Luke 21. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, we think of the prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians when he asked or said, I keep asking that the glorious God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Father, we need wisdom and we need revelation, and they come by your grace. And so we pray, pour out your grace on us as we open your word and as we open our hearts. Give us wisdom and revelation, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Matthew 24, beginning at verse 1 and reading through verse 35. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now I want to note quickly that Jesus only answers one of these questions, like he often does. He doesn't answer everyone's questions as they're asked. So he doesn't answer about the temple's destruction here, but only about the sign of his coming and the end of the age and I'll explain how we know this later. I'd also like, as we move into the rest of the text, to call you to take note of the time indicators in what we read. At that time, then, immediately after. So carrying on, verse 4, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. 
nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes, and Luke adds pestilences, in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations or peoples because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on Sabbath. For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out, or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east, that, that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies, or literally powers, will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation, or race, will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Okay, now please keep a finger or a marker in Matthew 24 while we flip over to Luke 21. 
starting at verse 5, you'll notice this is describing the same scene as Matthew 24. The disciples comment on the temple's beauty. Jesus says, not one stone will be left on another. The disciples ask, when will this happen? And what will be the sign that it will take place? Notice that here the disciples don't ask about the sign of Jesus coming in the end of the age, as they do in Matthew. Nonetheless, here Jesus answers their question about the temple's destruction and some of the signs of his coming and of the end of the age. So like in Matthew, he warns them against deception, saying that many will claim to represent him and that they ought not to be frightened by wars and rumors of wars because these things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he speaks more about the wars, earthquakes, famines, and pestilences or diseases, and signs from heaven. And he says, but before all this happens, and he goes on to warn about the extreme persecution they'll go through. And in the context of warning about that persecution, which they'll go through, and which comes before the end of the age, he then says these very important words. It's starting at verse 20. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. After this, Jesus now shifts from describing what they will experience in the near future back to giving signs that will precede his return at the end of the age, which mirror the signs given in Matthew and Luke and Mark. We won't read those now because it's important that we look a little more closely at Jesus' prediction in verses 20 to 24 as they're going to help us to understand what we read in Matthew. In verses 20 to 24, we hear language that's very similar to Matthew 24:15 and following. So, so it sounds like this, how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. We hear a description of great distress. And in both, we hear the strong encouragement for those who are in Judea, that's Jerusalem and the surrounding area, to flee to the mountains. So it would be easy to assume that these passages are describing the same events, but they are not. In Matthew, Jesus is describing events that immediately precede his return, as is evidenced by the words, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly powers will be shaken. At that time, the Son of Man, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. But in Luke, Jesus is describing the punishment that comes on Jerusalem and the Jews for their rejection of him as Messiah. And he's graciously given his followers a sign so that they can escape the coming wrath. He says something here that's not recorded in Matthew's account. He says, when you see Jerusalem 
surrounded by armies, you will know its desolation is near. Now I'm going to share briefly how this warning plays out because its fulfillment is key to our understanding the way that Jesus adequately warns his followers with signs. So in AD 66, about 30 some years after Jesus' ascension, a group of Jewish zealots began an all-out revolt against their Roman conquerors. The Roman general, Vespasian, from his home base in Caesarea Philippi on the Mediterranean, then wages three major campaigns against the Jews from 67, 68, and 69 AD, crisscrossing the Jewish countryside and eventually surrounding Jerusalem, the exact sign that Jesus had given. But then, this is where it gets interesting. The emperor, Nero, commits suicide. The empire is in chaos over who will rule next. And finally, Vespasian is actually declared emperor and called back to Rome. So he and his army pull back from Jerusalem, leaving a small window of opportunity for escape. When you see Jerusalem surrounded, you will know its desolation is near. Well, less than a year later, Titus is dispatched with more legions to conquer Jerusalem. And after many long months of brutal siege and fighting, Titus breaches Jerusalem's walls. He and his army slaughter hundreds of thousands of people. Some historians say up to a million people. And then they send so many more hundreds of thousands into captivity that history records Jewish slaves are practically being given away because there are so many of them. The slave market was gutted. Jews are dispersed all over the known world, even as Jerusalem begins to be trampled on by the Gentiles. And Jesus' exact prediction is fulfilled. They will fall by the sword. Hundreds of thousands did. And be taken as prisoners to all nations. Again, hundreds of thousands did. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the chimes of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Emptied of Jews, Jerusalem is inhabited and ruled by non-Jewish people until shortly after World War II. We'll say more about that in a future sermon. But for now, let's notice that not only are Jesus' exact prophecies from this text fulfilled in 69 and 70 AD, but also that in the fulfillment of them, Jesus has graciously given a warning that saves the lives of all who have ears to hear him. When you see armies surrounding Jerusalem, you will know that its desolation is near. Flee! After Vespasian withdraws his troops in 69 AD. All who believe Jesus, all who heed his warning, leave the city of Jerusalem, heading for the hills at the exact time that it looks like Jerusalem is safe. And the following spring, 
all who do not heed Jesus' prophetic warnings make their way toward Jerusalem for the celebration of Passover. And just as Passover is arriving, Titus arrives to siege and slaughter a Passover-packed Jerusalem. Friends, Jesus loves his followers. We're his body, his sheep, his bride, and his beloved. And so in his deep love for us, Jesus warns us of what is to come. And so as we both long for Jesus appearing and try to discern the times that we're living in, it's crucial to pay attention to the warnings Jesus gives us. So let's now turn back to Matthew 24 and begin to examine Jesus' answer, which includes both signs and warnings that he gives. This, the, the signs that Jesus gives roughly break down into three main periods. So first in verses 4 to 8, Jesus warns against deception, and he lists a number of signs saying that these are the beginning of birth pains. So we might summarize this period as, a period in which labor pains begin. Then in verses 9 to 14, Jesus again warns against, he warns against widespread persecution and a time in which many turn away from the faith, betray each other, and because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many grows cold, even as the gospel of the kingdom is being preached to all nations. We might summarize this as a period of heightened wickedness, persecution, and falling away. Then, third, in verses 15 to 24, Jesus warns of a period of intense distress, unequaled in history, that will be accompanied by demonic signs and miracles and great deception. This period is followed immediately by a shaking in the heavens, the sign of the Son of Man, and then Jesus' return. And so we might summarize this period as the last great revolt against God or a period of intense distress and deception. Again, these three periods can be roughly characterized as a period of labor pains, a period of heightened wickedness, persecution, and falling away, and a period of intense distress and deception. Now, when we talk about this period immediately preceding Jesus' return, we sometimes call it the last days. But interestingly, when we look at the the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, we see that the Bible defines the last days much more broadly. So as thousands rush toward the sound of a violent wind and find the Spirit-baptized disciples speaking in tongues and prophesying, Peter stands up and discerning the times, he explains to, to the crowd, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. So the Bible understands and teaches that the last days begin with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and they continue until Jesus' return. And that's helpful to us here, because in many ways, we could look at verses 4 to 8 
and examine these initial signs Jesus has given, which will precede his return, wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes and pestilences, and we could say, well, these have been happening since Jesus' first coming. How are they signs? Yes. Yes, they have. And so that could be a little confusing, except that Jesus gives us a clue for understanding them. All these are the beginning of birth pains. They indicate that labor has begun, says Jesus. This is a hugely important image. When a pregnant woman's body begins to experience the first real contractions or labor pains, something has been set in motion that has at least these three characteristics. First, labor pains include both bearing up under the pain, but also bearing down or laboring, pushing, so that a child will be brought forth. Second, labor pains normally come with increasing frequency and increasing intensity as the moment of birth comes closer and closer. Third, once labor has truly begun, it is not natural for it to be interrupted, but is intended to lead to a definite, joyous end goal, a new birth, new baby. And so if we combine these three characteristics of labor pains, it's as though Jesus is saying to his church, as you long for my return and the renewal of all things, there will be painful periods of distress, wars, famines, earthquakes, diseases, each of which, like labor pains, may require you to bear up under horrible pain. But as my body on the earth, the vessel and the partner of my Holy Spirit, these pains will also require you to bear down, laboring with my Holy Spirit in prayer for my return. The book of Revelation and the Bible conclude with this prayer. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come! This is intercession. This intercession, this bearing down in prayer, is our sharing in labor for Jesus' return. And so, it's as though Jesus is saying, as the time of my return draws nearer and nearer, these painful incidents will increase in intensity and frequency. And I'm telling you now that rather than being a sign that this world is somehow spinning out of control, you can actually be certain that the time of my appearing is drawing nearer and nearer. As you both endure and participate in labor pains, keep your eyes on the joy ahead, the birth of a new creation. It is coming and it will not fail even as this world looks as though evil is triumphing. Jesus is giving us a lens through which to view and understand the pain that we in this world experience. All creation groans with eager expectation 
for the children of God to be revealed, says Paul to the church in Rome. And here Jesus is explaining that all the spasms of war and famine, disease and earthquake are also a part of this groaning, laboring, intensifying pain that is crying out for the return and the revealing of Jesus, the only one who can and will put things to right. Every war, every earthquake is a spasmic longing for the healer of the nations. And if you'll watch closely, says Jesus, these spasms will increase as my return draws near. Well, friends, it's well documented that the 20th century is the bloodiest by far on record, both in terms of wars, of genocide, of holocaust, but also in terms of persecution against the church. There were more martyrs in the 20th century than in the previous 19 combined. An intensification of war and of death, of persecution and martyrdom. It's also been pointed out by some that geological records show an increase of earthquakes 6.0 or higher on the Richter scale over the last five decades of that same century. An intensification of earthquakes. Right now, in sub-Saharan Africa, over 200 million people live in a state of constant malnutrition, always on the brink of starvation. The number of places in Africa that are or have experienced drought are too many to number. And even as starvation is a daily reality for countless human brothers and sisters, the AIDS pandemic continues to rage. Despite the fact that AIDS is yesterday's news and that related deaths have dropped by 60% since their peak in 2004, in 2019 almost 700,000 people worldwide died from AIDS-related illnesses. This is only one of many including COVID-19, which are ravaging the earth right now. This is not to mention that large portions of Kenya and other African countries are experiencing the largest invasions of crop-eating locusts in recorded memory right now. An intensification of famine, of pestilence, and disease. So I want to share with you that earlier this summer as I was considering the shaking that we were undergoing worldwide as a result of COVID-19, the Lord put it on my heart to deepen my study of the passages of Scripture which speak about His return. So after an initial period of study and prayerful meditation, I felt led to reflect on this theme of labor pains as an opening devotional for the Kingdom Congregations team I lead. I shared it with the team for discernment, telling them that I sensed the Lord calling us to focus on preparing the church for His return. The Holy Spirit confirmed this in each of their hearts, moved us into a powerful time of prayer together. Well, as I transitioned from that meeting to a chiropractor visit, I received a text 
out of the blue from an acquaintance whom I haven't spoken to in years, and it read, I've had this thought in my mind for the last few days. I cannot imagine the pure terror that will strike within many people as they look up and see with their own eyes the return of Jesus Christ. I can only imagine that their first thought will be, Oh, crap! You mean all that stuff I did not believe is really true? Then probably every evil deed, thought, word spoken, etc. will pass through their mind. Fear and terror will follow. I truly can't fathom the world's most powerful people and politicians' reactions. Wouldn't surprise me if they tried to use military force to prevent him from coming. Real arrogance. After that fails, terror will strike their hearts. They will recall every dirty deal, action, and thought that was made behind closed doors. I can only imagine that they will all flee in terror looking for a place to hide. I truly can't imagine. Burdens my heart for all. End quote. Well, receiving this text out of the blue, right after our Kingdom Congregations team meeting was surprise enough. But then this happened. I'd no sooner put my phone down when over the radio began the song, I can only imagine what it will be like by Mercy Me, which most of you will know revels in the wonder of meeting and being with our Lord Jesus face to face. I was stunned. Only the Lord could orchestrate the movement from a teen conversation prayer time to an old acquaintance text and his repeated refrain of I can only imagine to the DJ player's song choice of I can only imagine back to back to back. He or she who has an ear to hear Let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church now. Jesus' return is drawing near. Labor pains are intensifying. Perhaps, perhaps we've even moved from this section of Matthew 24 into the next. We'll explore that next week. But today I'd like to close with some questions that will help us respond to the Holy Spirit as he calls us to prepare for Jesus' return. Last week's central questions were, What are you truly longing for? What is your greatest desire? Is the return of Jesus Christ to renew all things the hope that your heart is fully set upon? This week, assuming the Holy Spirit has been recalibrating each of our hearts with this holy longing, We now ask, as we experience various labor pains, are we merely hoping for the pain to pass so that we can go on with our lives, the life between the labor pains that we so dearly love? Or are we paying attention to the pains, having fully set our hope on Jesus' learn? return and learning to scan the horizon for him, searching and understanding the scriptures and discerning the times, will we bear down in prayer, preparing for what is to come? Remember 
the lesson from Luke 21. Jesus warns his disciples because he loves them. He loves them. And those who have ears to hear Jesus are prepared when the time of desolation comes. Are we hearing the Lord today? Will we be prepared for the labor pains of tomorrow? Will we prepare each other? Will we prepare our children? Will we help to prepare the body of Christ and perhaps even the world? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have all, myself included, on numerous occasions, heard a word from you that felt timely and important and convicting, and about which we said to ourselves, I need to respond to this, I need to do something, I need to change, and yet had the experience of moving past that and not implementing anything that your Spirit was calling for. And so we want to pray right now, Heavenly Father, pour out your grace, give grace, so that we do not do that this day and these weeks, but that we do indeed have ears to hear what your Spirit is saying, and that we prepare as you call us to prepare, and that we make necessary changes that you're calling for. We thank you, Lord, that you love us, and that it's out of your deep love that you warn and you prepare And so, Lord, help us to abide in your love and in your word and to take it and to live it with all seriousness. We love you, Lord. Amen.